Uh, I'm surprised that Doug left off one of the most important greetings for the get-together that we're having, and that was desserts. Uh, I think I heard or read in the bulletin that we was going to stay until the desserts ran out. And as I was looking at that list back there, <clears throat> that might be a short meeting. So, you need to look at that list and put something down there for desserts. We're looking forward to the time that we have to be together. The writer of the book of Hebrews spends a great deal of time trying to encourage Christians to understand who they are, to understand a conviction that they have and what it's placed in or whom it's placed in, enough to encourage them, to challenge them not to become discouraged by the obstacles of life that they face. It's hard to imagine what they were going through of these be Christians who had a Jewish background and that they were living in the region of Judea, of how they were treated once they became Christians by those who had remained Jews, cut off from the family, considered as dead, and yet trying to reach out to those that they loved, being persecuted to a degree that they were considering to go back under Judaism. And the writer is trying to encourage them, you need to rethink what you have. And do not make a mistake of going back to that which was inferior to what you have in Christ Jesus. Thirteen times through the book of Hebrews, he will find the word better, using a variety of different references, and it's that reminder that what we have is far greater and far better than what they had of old. But he talks about faith and what's involved in that. We've mentioned a little bit of that this morning, about faith and walking by faith and being convicted, but having assurance that what you walk by has some reality to it. Years ago, I was talking with a member of the body of Christ who was a deacon in the church, and he had made the statement, we cannot know for sure that God is or that there is an eternal home in heaven for those that are faithful. And it's like, what? We just hope that it's true. But we don't know for sure. And again, I'm not talking about those somebody in the world. I'm talking about somebody who is in the Lord's body. And somebody who's taken an active part in the Lord's body. But does not have that conviction of what faith is to produce within an individual. And sometimes I hear people make the comment as they're trying to work with individuals, you know, about having faith or not, or the hope of heaven, making the comment, if I, as a Christian, live my life as a Christian, and it turns out that it's not true, I have not lost anything. But if you, if you live your life as, a, as one, a child of the world, and you die and there is a heaven and a hell, then you've lost everything. But Paul reminds me in 1 Corinthians 15, if my hope is only in Christ, 
in this world. I'm of all men most miserable. If this is it, Paul says, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry. If there is no resurrection, if there is no heaven, if there is no God, then what we do here does not matter. But since there is a resurrection, and since there is a heaven, and since there is God, it does matter. And we live in a world, and we're mentioning it again a little bit Wednesday night as well. You being here is an indication that God exists. Not because you're here in a place to worship, although that is important. But the fact that you are a human being who has life and breath in their body is an indication that there is a God who gave life. Life can only come from life. You can take a rock and you can leave it sit there for five billion years if the Lord allows time to stand that long, and that rock will be a rock. It will not change into a life. Life only comes from life. What Genesis 1 talks about, is it not? Genesis 1 and 2. Read it again as you look forward to being here on Wednesday night. That's what it's saying. There is the evidence that God is. And that evidence is sufficient. We may not see Him per se, but we see the handiwork that He has created. And we are convinced by that that he does exist. We have, excuse me, we have his word that's been given to us. And it has withstood the test of time. It has withstood the attacks against it. And even though they seem to be resurmounting, resurmounting again to attack the Bible. But to do it in a different way. We've mentioned, I mentioned before at times, I've got a variety of different Bibles, so-called Bibles in the office that are not Bibles. They've altered and changed what the the Word of God has to say. One of the translations starts in Hebrews 11, not Hebrews 11, Genesis 11, and it says, Once upon a time, once upon a time, trying to, Satan is always active, Satan is always trying to discredit what God has to say. And we are challenged by the Hebrew writer. We're challenged by God himself, if you will. Do you believe that I am? And do you believe that what I say is true? And do you believe that what I say is true and that there is no variation And what I say, there's not a yes and a no. When he says, it's yes. When he says, it's true. That it does not change. He's described it from the beginning. It's described that even before the beginning as he laid that foundation for our salvation of how it would take place and when it would take place. And it has come to pass. 
We have to have faith in that what we read is true. But it's not just wishful thinking. What we have recorded for us from God is true, regardless of it's substantiated by human history or not. But the fact is, it is substantiated by human history. Human history records the same events that the Bible records. And their interaction between nations are are recorded on both sides. As you begin to read Luke in his gospel, he said, I've searched out everything. And what I'm recording is true. The names that he gives, the time frame in which he gives those names are supported by human history as well. But they're true again regardless, but it is substantiated by the human history. He's not making it up. There have been those who have written history or tried to write accounts that they want to say is supposed to be written at the time that it was, but they've always been shown to be false and to be written later on. But the Bible has not been that way. The Bible has always been true at every time frame in which the words of God are recorded and preserved for us. We need to understand that. But there are those who want to think that faith is just blind acceptance. Well, you just, you just have to believe it. There's no evidence for it. You just have to believe it. That's blind. That's foolish. It's how I want to perceive it. And that's not always the case. I found out down through time, my perception has not been always accurate. Never found that out in your life, have you? And you've had to modify it, change it, acknowledge it. That was wrong. I'm sorry. But God has not ever changed. And it's not a blind acceptance. And that's the beauty of what we have. You listen to the world. The others will say, well, it's just what it is. But they can never fully explain who we are, how we are designed, where it came from, And regardless of who an individual is, every individual has to go back to the three words that start out Genesis. In the beginning. Describe it. Whoever you are, if you believe in evolution, describe in the beginning. If there was a beginning, what? There had to be a time before the beginning. For the beginning to begin. How do you explain what we have? It's interesting to hear them trying to explain. It's interesting to hear them trying to explain human beings. And that's an interesting subject as well. We'll go into that one in the second lesson, which will be in three weeks. I'll be here for this Wednesday. And then for some reason, well, what happened last Friday, I'm going to be in the Chicago area uh, that following Wednesday night uh, to be with the grandchildren. 
and then I'll be back for that next Wednesday after that. But again, that's the beauty of what we have, is that at any time and any place, we can take where we're at, and we can start there. To go back and to show, if you will, if that needs to be the case, show the assurance of what we have here as being factual. It's not just superstition. It's not a book of make-believe. You ever read the account of creation by some of those that are in the world? Even ones recently, but going back farther to thousands of years ago to read their account of how the world began, trying to explain what we have and what's involved in that. And to realize, you know, why is it that every society, regardless of where they're at, regardless of the time frame in which they live, believe in a flood? Where'd they get that? And how do they explain it? And how is it that seemingly intelligent individuals would want to believe the accounts that they read in secular history and not accept that which has a mind behind it that says there is a reason for it and a purpose that's involved in it and intelligence directed it. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of, of God and the earth shows forth his handiwork. This take time to look and to observe and to see what we already have. This try to explain it. Try to look at creation. And it's amazing just to consider it. Been a lot of discussion over why do certain animals migrate? And why? And why is it that when they migrate, that when they return, it's not the same generation that returns that migrated down, and yet they return to the exact same spot from which they migrated? They're shown it was a salmon. And taking water from a location and then hatching the fish, fish there, and then when they release in the ocean when it's time to, for them to breed, they come back to where that water is located. How can they do that? How is that involved? Talk about the Marnock butterflies. I think, I don't remember the exact, how many generations it takes for the butterfly to migrate to the south. And it only takes one generation for the the butterflies from there to come back. Strange. Just utterly strange. And to hear somebody who does not believe in God try to explain it is even stranger. It is, it borders on hilarious. Them trying to explain how that takes place. It's just over a matter of time. You're not dealing with the same insects or animals over a period of time. You're just dealing with totally different generations. From when that first ever took place, whenever that happened, you're a thousand generations from there. How did that happen? Faith is this conviction that we have 
the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We don't see it, but the evidence is there. And it's sad to hear us try to soften what the Bible has to say to accommodate those who do not believe in the Bible. And I do not understand that. I've mentioned before that when I did a lesson on creation, and that'll pop back up again as well. The Big Bang Theory. I said, it's tempting as a Christian to say, yes, I believe in the Big Bang. God said it, and bang, it was. I said, but why should I give in to use the terms that the atheists use to describe creation? I believe God created. He spoke, and it was. I don't have to use their terms. I'm not obligated to come down to where they are. But for, for us to look and be honest and to be patient as we try to work with them. But again, not be ashamed of what you believe in. And not be ashamed of why you believe in it. Not be ashamed of the hope that you have. So not wishful thinking. So many in the world want to say it's wishful thinking that, oh, you be good, God will reward you, and yes, and we, no. It's not wishful thinking. There's the evidence. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the earth showeth forth his handiwork. If you look at the earth, if you look at the heavens, but just look at the earth. If you do not see the handiwork of God, you've missed something. Growing up in California and being very close to both the ocean and the redwood trees, it's just breathtaking. Didn't realize how much it would mean later on to me because I wasn't a Christian at the time. But just to be out in the redwood trees and to see how long they've been there and see how they stand and how tall they are and what's involved in that. How? by God's creation. Stand in awe. Been on the seashore a good portion of the life. And just to just to catch that, how God designed it, telling the sea, you can come this far and no farther. Amazing how that works. To see the ebb and the flow. And to know that it can be predicted. There's a lot of hunting for seashells when the tide was out. And we had to be, always be aware of when the tide came back in. Because on, along the coastlines, there's a lot of coves and points that jut out. And you need to make sure that when the tide was coming in, those points that jutted out, you need to be able to get around them. Well, the tide fully got in, or you were stuck. Because <laughs> you couldn't climb the, the cliffs. I'm just simply saying, how? Describe, how can... Non-believers describe what God has provided. Their descriptions fall far, fall so far short of even being reasonable. 
And yet, how many times have we given in? There are those who are members of the church whose passion is dealing with creation, but who have now taken a position that they believe that God created and then evolution took place after that creation. And they claim to be Christians, believers in God, who have studied, the, studied their facts, and this is their conclusion. God created, and evolution is the process that he used to finish his creation. Evolution doesn't even make sense. So why would I want to try to harmonize that with the word of God? I'm to have that conviction The Word of God gives me that conviction. I'll take my stand on the Word of God who has withstood the test of time, but who has been attacked for thousands of years. The accuracy of what I find in here is so exact and so precise that there are those who believe that Isaiah, for example, could not have written the book of Isaiah in the time in which he lived. Because what he wrote, the nations he described, the things that would take place hundreds of years before they ever came to pass, he wrote about. Daniel the same way. And so the only way that they conclude is that could not have taken place. Or Daniel or Isaiah could not have written when it is said that they were writing. Because there's no way, and this part is true, there is no way that man could know the future that precisely. That's true. But God knows the future that precisely, and that's what's being recorded. Isaiah's not writing his words, he's writing the word of God. Jeremiah is not writing his words. He's writing the word of God. Daniel the same way. And all of them up and down the line are writing the word of God. God is directing them. And his word is true and does not change. And that is the beauty of it as time continues to unfold. We live in a world that does not want to accept it or want to modify and to change it. And they do give that bad impression upon those who want to accept the truth of God's word. We have the date setters that are always out there and have always been out there of when this world is going to end. Well, it's it's amazing how they do not believe that that's going to be the case. We were still in St. Louis, so it had to be in in the 90s, late 80s maybe. I don't remember, I just remember the events, I don't remember the date that they said. There was a group that came out and took out a full-page ad in the St. Uh, Louis Dispatch, or the uh, St. Louis newspaper. Full-page ad describing that the Lord was going to return on, I don't know, don't quote me for the date, like September or October the 8th of this particular year. That's when the Lord was going to come again. They took out a full-page ad. Well, many of us in the Lord's Church got together and we worked together and we took out a full page ad saying we don't believe that's going to be the case and we'll be willing to discuss that. 
We offered to meet with the individuals and to say, if you honestly believe that on October the 8th, this world is going to cease to be, we'll tell you what, we'll relieve you of all your obligations right now. We'll take whatever you have. Don't have to worry about it. They never took us up on it. You're not going to need your cars. You're not going to need your house. Just let them go. No, 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 no. Not willing to do that. They've been the date set us down through the years. They give the false prophecies. They're going to be there. Ours is to have this faith in God. And ours is to have this faith in the Word of God. That it does mean what it says, but there is a way that it is to be understood. There are those who want to say that either the Bible is completely literal or the Bible is completely figurative. No, the Bible has literal statements in it and it has figurative statements in it. They know that. They just don't want to accept that. Jesus says, I am the door. That doesn't mean he's a little door like we have around here. They understand that. But this figurative language and this literal language is who he's talking to. It makes a world of difference. There are many of those who want to claim what Jesus promised his apostles as being true for them today. Jesus, in talking to his apostles, says, when I depart, I will send you the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And to the apostles, he says, and the Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance everything that I have said. So they want to say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to do that for me. No, you didn't read what the text says, one. He said he's going to bring to your remembrance everything that Jesus said. You wasn't there to hear what Jesus said. It didn't apply to us today. It applied for those of the first century. And that is exactly what he did. I know somebody has a, a box that's tucked away somewhere in that house. I have an idea about where it's at that has letters in it. Written during the late 60s and the early 70s. And I'm sure there's some things written in there that may have not been completely accurate. I may have thought they were when I wrote them. She still has them. (laughs) She keeps them hidden from me, otherwise they disappear. (laughs) The things that were said. For the three months that I was in California from after I got out of the service and before I started Harding College, I was in California and she was in uh, Illinois near St. Louis. And I kept Hallmark in business. Sent her a card every single day between her and the post, Hallmark and the post office. They did pretty well. And all that time, I think there's only two cards in there that are duplicates. Simply saying, you know, we have that. We have so much more than that. We just don't understand what we have. We have the love of God for your soul written in these pages. Do we not? God so loved the world 
that he gave his son to die for your sins. And whoever would believe that biblical belief, to act upon it and obey what it says, will not perish but have eternal life. Here's God's love letter to you, if you will. Here he's saying, what I say over here in John 3, 16, is backed up and supported by what I said in Genesis 1 and verse 1. It's backed up. It's supported. He's true to his word. He does not change. What do you believe? Where is your faith? Do you have that faith that I mentioned earlier that says, I'm just hoping that it's true. I don't believe it. I don't know for sure that it is. Or is your faith on that faith on the on the basis, I know what it says. And I have absolute trust that God will keep his word. And that in heaven, for those who are faithful to him, there is this eternal home. That's his desire for us. It's our desire for each one. It's our desire for those that are in the world. If they would just be willing to accept what we have given to us by a God who so loves us that he gave his son. But it's up to us. So many times, I know none of us have what we call good intentions of something we're going to do. I have a good intention of going on a diet. I haven't started it. I just have the intention to do that someday. It comes to mind every towards the end of every year when I go face the doctor. You know, I need to do something before I go see him. Make sure everything's going to be okay. He's going to say, okay, see you next year. Those are the words I like to hear. But every journey begins with that first step. Not the intention. The journey begins with a step. Only a step. I know I need to do better, but will I? Will I take the step to do better? I need to change my life. Will I take the step to do better? I need to come home to God. Will you take the step to do better and do that? God waits. He longs for us. His desire is that we would never lose that love for him. And when we waver, that we can always, always come home. Only a step. But unless that step is taken, the journey will never be completed. So as you look at your life, if you need to make a change, if we can assist you, if we can help you in that decision, then we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.